Shazam. Welcome back and welcome to the bonus episode of me and my friend Pete covering the Trials of Shazam, Volume 1, Number 2, Grounded. DC's world of magic is upside down and only one hero can set it straight. Before we begin, there will be all sorts of spoilers concerning the road to Infinite Crisis. But it's been 16 years, so... I apologize for nothing. Plays need players and if DC had a magical baseball team, he'd be what we call the Big Thump. I'm talking about the hero with the heart of gold larger than the chip on Atlas's shoulder. I'm talking about the Earth's mightiest mortal. I'm talking about the big red cheese. Captain Marsu. Fine. I'm talking about Shazam. The Shazam I'm spotlighting here is DC Shazam before the 2011 reboot of their universe. Shazam first appeared as Captain Marvel in Wiz Comics number no. 2 in December of 1939 and almost instantly became America's favorite superhero. By 1941, he had his own comic. He was doing Spidey numbers before Spider-Man. His origin story was completely unique from any heroes that came before. The first page reads like Oliver Twist. We see Billy Batson, 12-year-old New York newsie, extra, talking to a man in a green coat and hat. Billy asks the man if he wants to buy a paper, and the man asks him why he isn't home in bed. Billy says, I have no home, sir. I sleep in a subway station. It's warm there. The man tells Billy to follow him, and Billy, young and daring and never being told not to talk to strangers, he is a new follows the man into the subway. They board a magical train that no one is driving. So essentially the L train line. Billy's on 14th Street, Union Square. I love that a self-driving train was magic back then, but now it's just downtown. Back to. Billy boards the train car with the man and they travel to a mysterious and magic place. Billy walks down a cavern whose left wall is lined with giant stone golems of the seven deadly sins. Pride, envy, greed, hatred, selfishness, injustice, laziness. This is a kid's comic book, so these wouldn't get around to being the real seven deadly sins for quite a while. Billy meets an old man with flowing white hair sitting on a marble throne who calls himself Shazam. He tells Billy that for 3,000 years he'd used the powers given to him by the gods to fight evil. Shazam tells Billy that he knows about his struggles, how Billy's uncle kicked him out of their house once Billy's parents died and stole Billy's inheritance. Shazam says he has a way to give Billy power. All the boy has to do is speak his name and he'll be blessed with the wizard's gifts. Billy, no hesitation, screams Shazam! and is struck by lightning, transforming the 12-year-old boy into a man in the prime of his life with the dopest cape sash ever to match. The wizard tells Billy all he has to do is say Shazam again, and he'll revert back to his child form. The Earth's mightiest mortal was born in that moment. What can he do? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Captain Marvel is endowed with six separate gifts, each given by the gods who granted the wizard Shazam his power. Which gods? Solomon, which grants him understanding of all known languages and science, a photographic memory, increased intuitiveness, mathematical skills, near clairvoyance, and wisdom infinitely beyond his years. Who else? Hercules, granting him superhuman strength on par with the Man of Steel, Superman himself. And? Atlas, giving him superhuman stamina. Captain Marvel never fatigues, doesn't need to eat, sleep, or breathe, and can survive in the vacuum of space? No problem. Most of his injuries heal themselves in moments, and aging as Captain Marvel is a non-starter. His arch enemy, Black Adam, who shares much of the same powers, lived thousands of years in his superpowered form, and crumbled to dust when goaded by Billy to revert to his human form. What else? The Z is for Zeus, who grants the gift of lightning and increases Captain Marvel's five senses to superhuman levels. He can use the lightning as an offensive weapon as well, and use it to teleport. What's the A for? Achilles! 
This guy grants him courage, willpower, discipline, and resolve. Essentially, the mind of a warrior and fortifies his mind against mental control and psychic attack. And the end? Mercury, blessing Captain Marvel with the gifts of flight and speed. How fast? Translight in outer space. That's impossible. Nothing's impossible. Billy can also grant the gifts bestowed upon him by Shazam to anyone he deems worthy. And over the years, has blessed several people with it that have become known affectionately as the Marvel family. The main two are Billy's closest friends and allies in the fight against evil. Mary Bromfeld, aka Mary Batson, Billy's long lost twin sister, is Mary Marvel upon shouting the name Shazam. And Freddie Freeman, a young boy attacked and crippled by, I shit you not, a villain named Captain Nazi. Billy gave him the power, making him Captain Marvel Jr. We've got the players, you know what comes next. Where are you? Here. Our story begins way back in June of 2004, quite possibly the greatest month in cinema history. White Chicks, Napoleon Dynamite, Dodgeball, A True Underdog Story, The Notebook, Chronicles of Riddick, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and the number one movie of the month, none other than Spider-Man 2. Nice to meet me. It was a big month for comics too. The DC Universe was about to lay the foundation that would have ramifications for the next five years. The number one comic June 2005, Identity Crisis. Identity Crisis is my brother Jody's favorite comic book story of all time and the only one I ever remember sitting down and speaking with him about excitedly. Jody V, I see you. In issue one, Sue Dibney, honorary member of the Justice League and wife to the elongated man Ralph Dibney, is murdered in their home while elongated man is out on a mission and she is apparently burned to death. The entire superhero community comes out and I mean everybody to help investigate her murder. Sue is beloved by all and they want to see her killer caught. As the various major players fly off to conduct their own investigations, we see Green Arrow. He uses arrows. Black Canary. She has a sonic scream. Zatanna. Magic spells talk backwards. Hawkman. He can fly. The Atom. He can shrink. And Elongated Man. They all stay behind. This group of heroes has a secret. A secret that leads the Elongated Man to believe that a villain named Dr. Light is responsible for Sue's death. And the issue ends with the most hate-filled expression ever on the Elongated Man's face. As he says, they have to go after Dr. Light. Issue 2 picks up exactly where 1 left off. The League members who stayed behind are going to hunt Light down and bring him to justice. But before they can make their move, they catch Green Lantern Kyle Rayner. His ring does anything you can think of. And Wally West, the current Flash and fastest man alive. Flash and Green Lantern have overheard their devious talk and threaten to tell the rest of the League unless the group in front of them spills their secret. So Ralph does. He tells a story of Dr. Light sneaking into the JLA's Watts Tower satellite base to reclaim a light gun confiscated from him by the League. While there, he ran into Sue Dibney, visiting the Watts Tower to look at the stars. Dr. Light violently beats and rapes Sue Dibney. The League members in the room right now, along with Flash and the Green Lantern's predecessors, Barry Allen and Hal Jordan respectively, court Dr. Light just as he finished the act and brawled with him in the Watts Tower before Elongated Man knocked him out with a heavy mace. While Elongated Man took Sue to the hospital, the remaining members had to decide what to do with Dr. Light. Zatanna erases his memory so word of Sue's rape doesn't get out to the supervillain community, but Hawkman says the man is too dangerous and they can't risk him doing something like this again. He suggests altering Light's mind to make him less dangerous. Sides form immediately and the matter is put to a vote. Green Lantern, Hawkman, Black Canary, and the Atom vote to go along with the Mind Wipe. The deciding vote comes down to Barry Allen, considered the moral compass of the DC Universe at the time. He says do it. Zatanna performed the mind wipe, but because it was her first time performing the procedure, she wound up magically lobotomizing Dr. Light. This story, combined with Dr. Light's light-based powers and Sue's burned body, have convinced them he is the killer. They travel to Dr. Light's house to apprehend him. Dr. Midnight, D. 
DC's foremost resident super doctor. He says the burns occurred after she was killed. The word goes out, but doesn't reach the heroes on the trail of Dr. Light in time. Which sucks for them because Light hired some protection, the most dangerous mercenary in the DC universe. I'm talking about Deathstroke the Terminator. Issue 3 opens to the heroes fight with Deathstroke. A fight Deathstroke is decimating them in an 8 on 1 combat. Until Green Arrow, desperate, pulls a Hail Mary play and stabs an arrow into Deathstroke's bad eye. The heroes dogpile Deathstroke after he stabbed in the eye and watching the chaos, Dr. Light's memory is triggered. He screams, YOU TOOK MY MIND! before vanishing in a blinding flash of light. When the heroes come to, Deathstroke and Dr. Light are gone. Superman is on the scene and he tells them Dr. Light wasn't the person responsible. Meanwhile, Green Arrow tells Flash that they've mind wiped other villains since then. A lot of villains. There are a bunch of Silver and Bronze Age stories where the League's identity was found out by their enemies and it's implied that in all those cases, they mind wiped those villains to protect their secret identities. This group of League members have been doing this for years. The issue ends on a dark note as we see Jean Loring, ex-wife to Ray Palmer, the Atom, attacked by an unseen assailant as she screams to the Atom through a phone call to save her while she's hung by a noose on a doorframe in her home. Issue 4 opens with the Atom racing through the telephone call to get to Jean. He can do that? He arrives, cuts her down from the noose, and resuscitates her, saving her life. Meanwhile, all leads on the investigation are coming up empty and we find out that even the supervillains are on edge. Going after heroes' families was always considered a taboo faux pas, so they want the killer caught almost as much as the heroes. And even Batman is stumped. He keeps asking himself the same question over and over. Who benefits? Who benefits from the death of Sue Dibney? Green Arrow takes some time to speak to his friend Hal Jordan, former Green Lantern and current host of God's Spirit of Vengeance, the Spectre. Green Arrow wants the Spectre to help, but the Spectre says his hands are tied by a higher power. The issue closes with the stakes being raised once more. This time, a letter addressed to the Daily Planet's top reporter holds a threat. Lois Lane will be next. In the center of the threatening note, we see the Kryptonian symbol for hope. Superman's wife is on the list! Ray Palmer and Gene Loring rekindle their romance. Captain Boomerang, a Flash villain in need of cash, accepts a hit contract for money. The target, Jack Drake. Father to Tim Drake, Batman's Robin at the time. Jack Drake, at the same time, is sent a gun in the mail with a note reading, Protect yourself. The League finds out about the hit, and Batman leading the charge races to Jack Drake's apartment with Robin in the passenger seat. But they arrive too late. When they get there, they find the body of one bigger Harkness, a.k.a. Captain Boomerang, with three bullets in his chest, and worse, Jack Drake with a boomerang in his own. If you were ever wondering how Tim Drake became Bruce Wayne's third adopted son and not just Robin, happened right there. Issue six starts with the heroes breathing a sigh of relief, believing Captain Boomerang was behind the killings. Batman finds a slip of paper telling Jack to protect himself and takes it, only telling the League about it because he doesn't know who they can trust anymore. We get a major reveal in this issue as Green Arrow tells the Flash that he didn't know the whole story about the night at the Watchtower. Batman came to the Watchtower that night, and seeing what the members of the League were doing to Dr. Light, he became enraged and tried to stop them. But Zatanna, using a freezing spell, stops Batman in his tracks and with a tear falling down her face, said, I'm sorry, Bruce, before wiping his memory of the night. Meanwhile, DC's greatest doctor and its most impressive dresser, Dr. Midnight and Mr. Terrific, respectively, uncover the truth about Sue's murder. She was killed by a brain infraction. What's that? Essentially, a blood clot. A blood clot caused by two almost microscopic footprints on her brain. With all signs of Sue Dibney's death pointing in Ray Palmer's direction, the issue closes with him crawling into bed with Jing Loring about to make sweet, sweet love. The final issue of Identity Crisis opens in the bedroom with Gene Loring and Ray Palmer where it left off. They're talking playfully when Gene asks if the League ever found out who sent the note to Jack Drake. Ray is confused. The League didn't tell anyone about the note. He asks Gene how she knows about it. They go down a rabbit hole of questioning before Ray realizes the woman he loves 
killed one of his best friends in hopes that the danger surrounding family members will bring Ray back to her. Ray commits Jean Loring to Arkham Asylum. The case is solved, but shakes DC to its core, with the general thought being Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman all know what the League has done. While this is occurring, Hal Jordan, current Spectre, former Green Lantern, embarks on a quest that restores his human life and his status as a Green Lantern, leaving the Spectre, God's spirit of vengeance, untethered to a human host. We shoot into Superman titles for this next bit. You can find a spotlight on Superman in our Smallville Time Travel and Illegal Immigrants bonus episode. And that's just a title, and it's a title for a very specific reason. I don't believe that any immigrant is illegal. As a human being on Earth anyway, in my personal Opinion. Back to in Action Comics number 826, a story titled Lightning Strikes Twice begins. We're in June of 05, so a year later exactly. Captain Marvel is talking to the wizard Shazam, who tells him cryptically that change is coming. While in Metropolis, a magical plague is ravaging the home city of Superman. This plague has people killing themselves in violent ways. Like how? A man strapped C4 to his chest and jumped headlong in front of the Metropolis bullet train. Soup springs into action, of course, saving the train. Later that day, Superman, as Nobel Prize-winning reporter Clark Kent, began searching for clues about the mysterious violent suicides, hoping to find something that links them all together, but he comes up empty. He can't find anything connecting these suicides. Later that evening, a Kryptonian battlesuit owned by Lex Luthor is stolen by a woman possessed by an unknown entity. She and Soup's do battle, and we find out she's possessed by Eclipso, an ancient manifestation of God's wrath, usually trapped in a purple stone. Eclipso was replaced by God as his spirit of vengeance because Eclipso possessed his host and took them over, removing their free will. God replaced Eclipso with the Spectre, a vengeance spirit tethered to a human host so it could exact God's vengeance more justly through the eyes of a human host. The issue ends with Eclipso telling Superman that he's come to possess him. We're in Adventures of Superman number 639 next as Supes continues his fight with Eclipso. The villain tries to anger him, knowing it's the only way to possess him, but Superman keeps his cool. Eclipso escapes. Later that evening, Clark Kent gets home to his apartment and gets into an argument with Lois. She says he's naive if he thinks he doesn't hold some of the blame for the loss of lives that occurred earlier earlier in the day, and Soup's snaps held it together, though. because Lois was being possessed by Eclipso, and in one argument, Eclipso has just possessed the Man of Steel. Before Eclipso can enjoy his newfound might, however, he's confronted by the Earth's mightiest mortal, Captain Marvel. In Superman Volume 2, number 16, they rumble, a fight that sees Eclipso Superman punch Captain Marvel from Cali to Hawaii, and Eclipso is dominating the battle until the wizard Shazam arrives. The wizard Shazam takes on Eclipso, but realizing the spirit would rather die than relinquish its hold on Superman, Shazam calls on bigger guns, God's spirit of vengeance, the Spectre. The Spectre makes short work of Eclipso, who escapes in the stone after the battle. Once the fighting is done, the Spectre tells Shazam that he broke an ancient magical covenant by summoning him when the Spectre was not tethered to a host. The Spectre goes on to tell the wizard Shazam that he will have to go to war with a dark spirit of vengeance. Shazam, thousand years of cool, replies, then war. It shall be. The issue closes with us following Eclipso Stone to Arkham Asylum, where it hopes to claim a new host. We jump into the Days of Vengeance story next. First issue released June of 05. The story opens to Jean Loring, ex-wife of the Adam Ray Palmer and murderer of Sue Dibney. Jean, still raging about being considered a psychopath by her friends, is possessed by Eclipso. Eclipso Jean escapes from Arkham Asylum to parts unknown. Meanwhile, the entire magical community realizes to their horror that the Spectre, without a human host to guide him, has been traveling around and systematically wiping out magic in the DC universe, starting with the heavy hitters like the hero Phantom Stranger, who he transforms into a mount, and villain Blackbriar Thorn, and working his way down. Enchantress, a sorceress who's played both sides of the fence, witnesses the Spectre wipe out a whole forest full of spellcasters and summons a hero named Ragman to help her escape. They teleport to a bar known only to the magical community, the Oblivion Bar. 
and there, along with the rest of the mages on scene, make their plans for the end of the world. Meanwhile, in the Rock of Eternity, suspended in the nothingness of a magical dimension, Shazam and Captain Marvel are talking. The Rock of Eternity is their home base, and they're talking. Shazam tells Captain Marvel he needs time to prepare to face the Spectre. And Captain Marvel says, you need time? You got it. I won't let you down, and flies from the Rock of Eternity in search of the Spectre. Issue 2 opens to us finding out how the Spectre was corrupted. Without a host, his vengeance became unfitting for the crimes he punished. Already lost without a human tether, he was seduced by a Eclipso Gene, who convinced him that if he destroyed magic, all the evil in the world would be gone from it. While the Spectre tears through DC's magical powerhouses, six D-list heroes decide to take the fight to the spirit of vengeance. Blue Devil, in the name. Detective Chimp, Chimp. He can talk to all animals. That's his power. Enchantress, Ragman, Nightmaster, and Nightshade. They call themselves the Shadow Pack. Four members prepare to do battle with the Spectre while Detective Chimp and Nightshade use her magical powers of teleportation to go in search of a teenage girl who is rumored to be the most powerful sorcerer on the planet. Sometime. Huh? Enchantress and company reach the Spectre and find the spirit locked in battle with Captain Marvel. They attack Eclipso Gene. Issue 3, the Shadow Pack, against all odds, fight Eclipso Gene and the Spectre to a standstill, thanks to some crafty magic by Enchantress. Meanwhile, Detective Chimp and Nightshade reach the home of Lori Zeklin. Issue 4, on the verge of defeat, Eclipso Gene and the Spectre flee. Detective Chimp and Nightshade return to the group with Lori Zeklin, also known as Black Alice. Issue 5, Shazam tells Captain Marvel that he's ready to face the Spectre. The Shadow Pack learns that Black Alice can suck the magical powers from anyone around her. Like a magic leech? Yeah. The Shadow Pact are going to have Black Alice steal the Spectre's powers and once he's depowered, kill him. That's a good plan. Word. The Shadow Pact travel to a place called the Land of the Middle Hours and lure the Spectre and Eclipso Gene into a fight. Black Alice steals the Spectre's powers as planned, but the Shadow Pact realize that without them, the Spectre is an immaterial ghost they can't kill. Worse. Black Alice can't handle the Spectre's powers and it's only a matter of time before they return to the Spirit of Vengeance. But in issue 6, they rally. Nightshade transports Eclipso Gene into orbit around the sun, removing her from the battle. The Spectre abandons his battle with the Shadow Pack once he regains his powers and flies away. Where? The Rock of Eternity to do battle with Shazam. He incapacitates Captain Marvel easily. He and Shazam get into an epic battle, and the Spectre kills the wizard Shazam. The Rock of Eternity, no longer held up by the wizard's spells, slides from its dimension and over, of course, Gotham City, where it explodes above the city, sending rock flying in all directions of Gotham. Magical meteorite just hurling to Earth. There. Infinite Crisis arrives. You can find a synopsis for Infinite Crisis in the Unavenged, some assembly required bonus episode. Infinite Crisis hits, and one of the add-on specials is Day of Vengeance, Infinite Crisis Special, and March of 06. This story is pretty cut and dry. The most powerful magical beings in existence, realizing the only way to stop the Spectre is to allow him to destroy them, each do battle with the Spectre, allowing him to destroy them. They have to die. The Spectre kills the final Lord of Magic, and God, no longer able to ignore the Spectre's violent rampage, removes the spirit of vengeance from the earthly plane. That settled, the magical community takes to rebuilding the Rock of Eternity. But there's a catch. Captain Marvel has now taken the role Shazam once held, and must live in the Rock of Eternity going forward. Things are moving fast now. The comic Brave New World was released in August of 06, and in it we see the aftermath of Infinite Crisis. In the magical realm of DC, the death of the wizard Shazam has made Captain Marvel simply going by Marvel now, extremely powerful, but has stripped his lieutenants, Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary Marvel of their powers. Mary is fighting a harpy in the air above Mexico when her powers cut out and she plummets into the ocean beneath her from three miles up. Captain Marvel Jr. is fighting three Iron Goblins in Prague, the Czech Republic, when his powers cut out and he's left beaten and unconscious. Trials of Shazam number one was released October 2006, and in it, we see Marvel is now a god-level powerhouse. He brings the pain all over the DCU to magical villains. But all that power has a price. 
When Marvel sets Shazam to transform back into Billy Batson, he makes a costume change instead. The red of his costume replaced by white. His short black hair grows to shoulder length and turns silver. His skin turns silver. He realizes he has a problem. And now we are here. The Trials of Shazam Part 2. Grounded. You said Deathstroke fought the whole Justice League? Me and my best friend Pete. Old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns. Kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend P. The writer on this one is Judd Winnick. If the name sounds familiar, he was the writer responsible for bringing Jason Todd back from the dead in Batman Annual Number 25. You can find a run through of that comic and the unavenged Some Assembly Required bonus episode here on Me and My Friend Pete. Check it out. The art and cover on this one were done by Howard Porter. The letterer is Rob Lay. Associate editor is Tom Palmer Jr. The editor is Mike Carlin. So we're moving on to the cover and I like this cover of Trials of Shazam number two a lot. There's a lot of purple and orange used here. I don't recall seeing these colors mixed very much even in the world of colors that comic books is. So it's a great use of these two complementary colors. On the top of the cover in white, we get the title, Trials of Shazam in purple and orange outline. Captain Marvel's lightning symbol is used as the horizontal line of the exclamation point at the end. A little left of center, we see Freddie Freeman on one knee, his left hand pressed against the ground, his right pulled back in alarm. He's wearing a purple collared short sleeve shirt with a white long sleeve beneath it. The hem's on both frayed and tattered. Olive pants and a pair of Adidas. Fair enough, a pair of black sneakers with two stripes running along the side. Freddie looks like he's in his early to mid 20s, white guy, he's got short messy black hair and he's staring straight ahead with a look of shock on his face. He is being struck by an orange bolt of lightning, but Freddie Freeman rides the lightning, he's not hurt by Fitting, because in the foreground on the right of this cover, we see Marvel, formerly known as Billy Batson, his left hand gripping his new white cape, his right hand raised towards Freddy, lightning bending and crackling around the golden bracers on his wrist. On the lower left of the page, it says, pass the power. We turn the page. Page one opens to a young Freddie Freeman wearing a much different expression of shock. This one is tinged with fear. We get Freddie's full name here, Frederick Christopher Freeman, and an origin story drawn beautifully in the Silver Age style. The second panel, we see Freddy on a motorboat in the middle of a lake trees and mountains behind him, and we see Captain Nazi on the boat with him. Nazi's wearing a green jumpsuit, yellow belt, and swinging a boat oar that's connecting with Freddy's head, knocking Freddy into the lake. Next, we see Freddy laid up in a hospital bed with his left leg in a cast and raised. Billy Batson is beside his bed. We find out the attack by Captain Nazi took the life of one of Freddy's family members and left Freddy with a left leg permanently disabled from the assault. But Billy Batson won't have that. The next panel, we see him as Captain Marvel. He and Freddy Freeman are standing side by side and Captain Marvel has his right hand on Freddy's shoulder. In the final panel, we see a smiling Freddy Freeman transformed into Captain Marvel Jr. He has a short red cape, pretty standard for the Marvel family. I love that they all wear short capes. Captain Marvel Jr.'s short cape is red with gold trimming. He has SJB spandex on with gold braces on his forearm, a gold belt, and gold boots with, of course, the gold lightning at the center of his chest. He's soaring in the sky with a smile on his face. He's arrived. Captain Marvel Jr. is here. We're on a busy New York City street to open page two. It's a splash page, beautifully drawn. There's a black guy with a Lions jersey on holding an iPod. We have a woman in a sky blue dress, black belt, gold buckle, long black hair, and sunglasses. There's a pizza delivery guy. He's got his headphones in, a red cap, Green hoodie, blue jeans, and Adidas. He's facing the street, waiting across his cars drive by. And in the center of the page, we see Freddie Freeman now. He looks much like the Freddie Freeman on the cover, except for the fact that he has a soul patch. He doesn't have that on the cover, and I'm willing to bet it's because. Well. 
It's a soul patch. Exactly. Freddie's wearing a black leather jacket, orange hoodie, white t-shirt, and SJBs. He has his cell phone to his right ear and his left hand, as always since the assault by Captain Nazi all those years ago, is gripping an elbow crutch to support his left leg. Freddie's having a conversation with someone on his cell phone. He's apologizing for the person thinking his idea isn't a good one. So it's a, uh, I'm sorry you feel this way type of situation. A person on the phone says, Good idea. Freddie, you can't just withdraw from college. And Freddie's like, Actually, I can. And, you know, I did. He's on his Bon Jovi. It's life. my life. Page three, we shift to the person Freddie's talking to. A young black woman is standing in a beautiful apartment with brick walls, hanging art, and a flat screen TV. The woman is slim, has brown skin, her hair is done in long locks. She has a tribal sun tattoo on her right arm, is wearing a white bra, and SJBs with a little thong showing. Her name is Sharina, and she's telling Freddie he only has 10 credits left in college. He'd be a fool to drop out now. Freddie says it's complicated. Sharina replies that he always says that, and she says now she wants to know what's so complicated about his life. The camera shifts back to Freddie who can't respond, but we know why things are complicated. Freddie thinks, because I lost all of my power, because I can't find Captain Marvel. He says, I don't know. It's hard for me to. But before he can finish his sentence, a biker, red shirt, green shorts, black kufi, soul patch, comes speeding down the sidewalk, bumping into Freddie's left arm, causing his crutch to slip. And Freddie should have saw that coming. Anybody with a soul patch to act the same way. Page four opens with Freddie falling to the ground. His crutch flies up. His cell phone slips from his hand. He thinks, I'm just a cripple. I'm not as strong as a regular person. Sharina says, Freddie. Freddie tells her he fell down, and we get a shot of Sharina back in her apartment, her hand to her head. She tells Freddie she wants to talk to him about dropping out of college in person, and says she can be at the campus in 10 minutes. We get a Got Milk ad starring the topless 2006 David Beckham. It's like, dude, get a shirt. But then you remember you spent two pages looking at a topless woman, and it's like, dude. Moving on. Page five opens with Freddie telling Sharina he's not on campus as he walks into a hospital. There's a dude in this panel with his head bandaged walking out. I love it. I appreciate that guy for some reason. Next panel, Sharina's pulled a white t-shirt on and she asks if Freddie's at the hospital again. We see Freddie walking towards the emergency room. And this is a busy hospital. We have a nurse pushing a guy in a wheelchair, three doctors walking by studying files, and a crowded hallway in the background. We zoom back in on Sharina. She says, look man, I know she's your friend. I get it. But she's not getting any better and wouldn't want you to obsess over her. But before she can finish her sentence, Freddie says he has to go on the last panel. She shouts at him, but he says he has to go. We get a Got Milk ad for 2006 featuring A-Rod. That's Yankees A-Rod. That's my dog. Put the team on his back in 09. Yankees fans really have been spoiled rotten, I gotta say. If you were a kid from 95 to 09, you were spoiled rotten with ticker tape parades. Title Town, USA. Page six opens and we see Mary Batson in a hospital room. She has a thick cast on her left leg. Her right arm is bandaged from the wrist up. There's a cast on her wrist. Her forehead's wrapped in bandages over her red hair. Both eyes have gauze taped over them. Her face is bandaged. And there's a breathing tube in her mouth. Sheesh. We get a panel of Mary flying with short shoulder length red hair. Her costume is a short sleeved white dress with gold belt and hemming. The large Shazam lightning bolt is sitting on her chest. Her short cape is white with gold hem. The final panel, we see Mary Marvel in combat in the sky with a harpy. Mary is being struck by a lightning bolt. Freddie says she fell from three miles up without her power. Page seven opens and we get a gorgeous panel of a horrific event as we see Mary falling towards the shoreline of Puerto Vallarta. She's being struck by a bolt of lightning that's white and neon pink. The sky is twilight behind her. This is beautifully drawn. I love how this looks. It reminds me of the Disney's Hercules movie, the smoke in the background, the clouds in the background, giving me a Hercules movie vibe. That, beautiful. 
beautiful. We're back in the room, close up on Mary's unconscious scarred face, and Freddie's thinking she's been in a coma ever since. We find out Freddie spent all the money he had to get Mary transferred to this hospital. Freddie sits down and talks to Mary. He says he wishes he could tell Sharina the truth about who he is, that all Sharina wants to do is help, but he figures what can she do? He takes Mary's hand and says he wishes she'd wake up, say the word, be strong again. We get a close up on his face in the final panel as he says he feels so alone. And I think Freddie's got a point, but I think Freddie's missing the larger point of being human in my opinion. Freddie wants someone who relates to him losing his powers to be around so he can speak to them. But he has someone around right now who wants to talk to him that loves him and all she wants him to do is be honest and Freddie can't do it. That's, we may not always get the ear that we want, but if we have an ear available that's willing to listen, that's a beautiful thing. And Freddie, Freddie should have taken advantage of that. But you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. This kid is used to being one of the strongest people on earth. And now he's just a cripple in his words. So he wants to speak to somebody who really knows what it's like to have it and lose it. I understand, but Sharina's right there, Freddy. Killing yourself. Back to. We get an ad for Dungeons and Dragons on the next page. This is one of those hot times in the comic universe. Units were moving, so we have ads all over the place in the big events. How many ads did we run through already? Anyway, in this ad, we have a black guy staring at his computer screen with a look of shock on his face. The words above him read, Your mighty band of heroes will never be defeated by a server crash. The words below, get together, roll some dice, have fun. Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons taking shots at MMORPGs. I respect it. We turn the page and we're on the Infinity, 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 Infinity page. page. Page eight, and Freddy is saying he wishes he could find Captain Marvel, who we see as an imagined thought with his arms folded behind Freddy. Freddy says every day it's getting worse out there. And we see a bald lizard looking demon crawling from the floor in one image, and another demon with its face on its chest, both fits the glow with magical energy in the next. Freddy says, and I can't do anything about it. I say it over and over again. I say Captain Marvel. I scream Captain Marvel. And I wait for the lightning to rain down on me. I wait to feel all that strength, that power, but it's gone. And there's nothing Freddy can do about it. In the final panel, we see the wizard Shazam locked in combat with the Spectre as Freddy continues. I thought Cap had it under control. I mean, after the wizard died, I thought we would be the ones to carry on. But it looks like we're not going to fully recover from losing him, from losing Shazam and is struck by lightning while sitting in his chair to open page nine. A male nurse comes into the room with fresh linens for Mary's bed, but Mary's in the room alone now. Was sitting on. on its side in a small crater caused by the lightning strike. We get a two page ad for the Dodge Caliber car sitting outside of a principal's office. So I have no idea what's going on in this one. Two pages of strange, wasting our time. Turn the page. Page 10 opens to another strike of lightning. We see Freddy on his knees surrounded by lightning. He looks up and his mind is blown. In a gorgeous two page spread, we we see the seven deadly sins as statues. Gluttony is a large, bold, fat man who is stuffing bread into his face. We have a statue of a man and woman, both naked, hiding their sexy bits. A slim, hunched over man with a mound of coins beneath him. A large, bald man with his head down, his carved neck, sleeping on his statue. A serpent man hybrid, biting its own tail. A statue of a woman with five arms is next. Each arm is holding a mirror and she's staring into them all. And the final statue, a large, angry head with devil's horns screaming angrily. Behind the idols, we see a large room with a barreled roof. The walls are brown with the pillars holding up the ceiling and turquoise. There are hundreds of television monitors on the wall and a small stand with an artifact glowing neon pink. Freddy says, oh my God. Page 12 opens to the wizard Marvel, removing the hood from his cloak. Even his cloak has gotten an upgrade. It used to end halfway down his back. Now it's falling to his ankles and has a hood. He says, think you mean, oh my gods. 
And welcome to the Rock of Eternity, Freddy. Freddy is still in shock and asks if it's really Captain Marvel. 13, Marvel answers. He says, Yes, in a fashion. And placing a hand on Freddy's shoulder tells him they need to talk. Marvel says when the Wizard Shazam was destroyed, it left the magical world in flux. And Freddy says, I know, it's like H.P. Lovecraft on steroids out there. H.P. Lovecraft is considered one of the greatest writers of horror and science fiction to have ever done it. Probably most known for creation of the Cthulhu mythos in science fiction. He struggled as an artist his entire life, really only achieving fame after his death. He wrote largely for Weird Tales, considered by many to be the greatest fantasy magazine ever produced. I've read a few issues and everything about comics today seems to have some element of that magazine. Definitely foundational in stories of imagination. Back to In the final panel, we see a giant, bald, magical monster with tentacles for arms wrenching the doors off the cave room as Marvel says Shazam's absence created a vacuum. We get a two-page ad for a comic called Rush City. I never read it, so we'll move on. Marvel continues saying Shazam's magic tried to heal itself next and in doing so, stripped all the mortals who shared the power. Freddy says, me and Mary. Marvel says, all of them, Freddy. Anyone who had the power who isn't Marvel, who isn't me, doesn't have the power now. Marvel says the power needed to be contained, that someone had to fill the void left by Shazam. And Freddy asks, so, what does that make you now? And Marvel says, I am Marvel. I am as I was. But unlike before, when I would wield great power, I am the keeper of the power. Freddy is wearing a worried expression to open page 15. He asks Marvel if he's still Billy in there, and Marvel says yes. Freddy wants to know what happened to him. Marvel says I had to grow up. He says, I am everything that Captain Marvel was, and I am everything that Shazam was infused with. The book that is magic has been rewritten, and we need to adapt along with this evolution. We are at a very dark crossroad. In the final panel, we get a view of Shazam in profile as he continues saying the power of Shazam still needs an acolyte, one who will maintain the balance between the world of magic and humanity. Marvel puts a hand on Freddy's shoulder to open page 16 and tells Freddy that he's next in line for Shazam's power and that he's been chosen by fate. The next panel, we see Marvel standing in front of a turquoise wall above him, the names of the six gods who grant the power of Shazam. Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. Marvel says, I know it was easy for me. Guy in a green coat took me on a mystical train ride and bam, Captain Marvel. But you're gonna have to go a different road. You'll have to earn the gifts. Why? because the power of Shazam is still healing. Captain Marvel says, you will visit with each of the gods of magic who are signified in the name of Shazam, and you will be tested. If you succeed, you will be awarded their gifts of power. But if you fail, the power of Shazam will be lost to us. It will be passed on to another magical lineage, one whose hearts are not as inculpable as our own. Freddy smiles and asks if this means he won't be called Captain Marvel Jr. anymore. And Marvel, a furrowed brow, says no. He retakes his seat on his marble throne to open page 17 saying, you will be called. Shazam. Freddy lowers his head, puts his right hand to his heart. Marvel asks if he's all right, and Freddy says that he is, that he's just a little shocked because he thought it was all over, to which Marvel replies, no, it has just begun. The final panel, we get a close-up on the names of the seven gods in turquoise. Ladies and gents, we got a hero's journey. Freddy is on a busy metropolitan street to start page 18, staring up at a tan two-story apartment building. He calls it a dump and wonders aloud how anybody living here can get Freddy an audience with the gods of magic. In the next panel, we see a brown delivery truck pull up beside the curb. A driver in a brown jumpsuit steps off the truck onto the concrete with a package in his hand. He says, hey, are you going up to see a, um, what's this guy's name? Something with a Z here. And Freddy just breaking the rule of volunteering information. Zarab Babek? The driver says, yeah. He says he's late as hell and the package doesn't need a signature. He asks Freddy to take it up for him and Freddy says he'll do it. His grandfather always used to say, don't show up empty-handed. We get an ad for Naruto Clash of Ninja 2 for GameCube next. Man, GameCube. Shout out to Metroid Prime. 
That was my game. Page 19 opens to the home of Zara Babak. There are boxes piled high in the background in front of bay windows. There's a skateboard, a boombox, Chinese lamps hanging from the ceiling, two orange, two blue, and there's a large red oriental rug on the floor. We see Zara Babak. He's a young black man, early 20s, with short locks in his hair. He's wearing a purple t-shirt with a white long one beneath it like he's Zach Sawyer. SJBs and sandals. He's packing up a box while talking to Freddy who's sitting on a cardboard box himself. The package given to him by the delivery driver on his lap. Zarab says before we even get into this, just know I didn't want this job. Zarab says he was perfectly happy at his old job before Shazam died and says now everyone's gotta play musical chairs. And Freddy asks what was Zarab doing before? Zarab continues packing telling Freddy he was a 12th level necromancer. And Freddy asked, was that a good thing? It's a good question because I don't know if that's a good thing. You're a 12th level necromancer. What is that? Become a benefit? You're a 401k? Zarab says it was better than playing wet nurse to a human still trying to earn their magical stripes. And in the final panel, Freddy naively asks if they have to go to Mount Olympus so he can be tested by the gods. And Zarab tells him, Mount Olympus? Brother, you don't know anything, do you? Page 20 opens with Zarab pointing towards the floor. Zarab says, The gods of Olympus are terror-based and hold dominion over an entirely different realm of power. And you know, hang with all them Amazon chicks. You, my friend, are dealing with the lords of magic. The only thing they have in common with those cats are their titles. The great god Zeus isn't so much the big fella's name as it is his station. And Zarab tells Freddy all this while lifting a portable TV and placing it in a duffel bag. There are millions of Solomons, Achilles, Mercuries, etc. But Zarab tells Freddy he only needs to worry about six. And Zarab, done explaining, points to the box in Freddy's hand and asks what's in it. Freddy says the delivery guy gave it to him and asked him to bring it up. In the final panel, we see both men standing on the oriental rug at opposite diagonal ends, and Zarab is recoiling. He asks Freddy if he told the delivery driver his name. Freddy says, yeah, he said you didn't need to sign, but stops as the box starts glowing bright green. Page 21 opens as Zarab racing to his bookshelf. He moves a book out of the way on the top shelf and pulls a glowing orange magic wand from behind it, screaming at Freddy to throw the box on the floor. Freddy, a shocked look on his face, stares at the glowing package a moment before it falls from his hands. In the final panel, we see the thin box begin to open as ectoplasm begins shooting from the package in the form of green tentacles. And on the final page, we see the magical monster out of its box, smoke rising from it. My first thought was how much this monster looks like Shumagora from Marvel Comics, the man-sized green octopus Cyclops that's in Marvel vs. Capcom. But this creature only resembles Shumagorov with the tentacles. This creature has a sharp bird beak and six eyes that resemble spiders. To top it all off, the creature's head is peeled open sort of like the start of an orange and we can see his exposed brain. It's actually a really gross image. I love it. As this creature stares down at Freddy and Zarab, Zarab says, Okay, newbie, lesson one. Don't take anything from anybody. Freddy replies, Got it. At the bottom of the page, we get a hint of what's to come next. Next issue, the Council of Merlin. And we're left on a cliffhanger of what happens next. And we're out. Trials of Shazam ran over the course of a year and I have all the issues, so I'm super excited to dive into them someday in the future. This story was a long time coming and I think it says a lot about the planning and collaboration DC Comics displayed over the two plus some years they spent building from Identity Crisis and into this particular story of the magical wing of the DC Universe. I love a good hero's journey and this is one of the best I've read. Winnick and Porter have great chemistry and together they craft a beautiful visually and compelling mentally quest. I was most actively collecting comics at this time in history so I'm sure this episode will serve as a signpost for a lot of the comics we get into in the future. All that said, thanks for running with me today. I had a blast going over one of my favorite errors in comics. If you don't mind, please like, please comment, please share, please take care, and please think of the world and be true to yourself. And as always, remember, with great power, you already know the rest. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.